Okay, I'm going to read uh, John. By the way, my name is Jonathan Morgan. I have a son who hangs around this place, and uh, you and know him well, and uh, I'm blessed by him, and uh, I know that you are too, and so, Daniel, you do a wonderful job. Keep up the good work, and uh, let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we will read the scripture. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for a wonderful time of worship through song this morning. Thank you that uh, well, we can, with our lips, we can praise you, we can sing unto you, and we can exalt the name of Jesus. Truly, you are to be praised. It's a wonderful time when your people get together to meet. And today, Lord, we ask that you move through me, speak through me your words to your people that we might be edified, challenged. Our conscience might be pricked, our hearts might be stirred to do the things that you want us to do so that by the time we leave here, we can say truly, God was in this place. We want to thank you even now in Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to read the text and then we're going to launch into some verses. So if you have your Bibles and you want to read with me and uh, depending on what version they get up there. After these things, I'm in, by the way, it's John 5, 1 through 18. And after these things, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. And there was in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew, Bethsaida, having five porticos. And these lay a multitude of those who were sick, blind, lame, withered, waiting for the moving of the waters. For the angel of the Lord went down in certain seasons into the pool and stirred the water. Whoever then first, after stirring up of the water, stepped in, was made well from whatever disease from which he was afflicted. And a certain man was there who had been 38 years with a sickness. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he uh, had already been a long time in that condition, he said to him, do you wish to get well? The sick man answered him, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water was stirred up, which while I am coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, arise, take up your pallet and walk. And immediately the man became well and took up his pallet and began to walk. Now it was the Sabbath on that day. Therefore the Jews were saying to him who was cured, it is the Sabbath. It is not permissible for you to carry your pallet. But he answered them, he who made me well was the one who said to me, take up your pallet and walk. And they asked him, well, who is this man who said to you, take up your pallet and walk? But he was healed. But he who was healed did not know who he was. For Jesus had slipped away while there was a crowd in their place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, Behold, you have become well. Do not sin anymore, so that nothing worse may befall you. The man went away and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had made him well. And for this reason, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But he answered them, My father is working until now, and I myself and working, and for this cause, therefore, the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but was also calling God his, his own Father, making himself equal with God. So wonderful passage, and um, reminds us that God does healing, and He does it today. And you may have a need today, and I want you to know God can heal you. You may have a physical ailment. I want you to know that God can heal you. Oh, it may not be in the terms when Jesus walked on, in, on this earth and he walked up and said to somebody, take up your bed and walk. 
but God heals. I prayed for many a person, they were healed. I prayed for people and watched other people pray and they were healed. And, and I've seen healing take place. But there's another healing that needs to take place far more important, and that's the healing of the soul, in which we come to the place where God interacts with our spirits and our mind and our will and our motion, and he changes us. And we'll see this as we look in the text today. Well, the background here is this, if one were to go to the St. Anne's Church <clears throat> in Jerusalem, they would show you a deep excavation that has been revealed in the, in the ancient pool of Bethesda. The meaning of the word is house of mercy or house of grace. Others say it means a place of two outpourings because there's historical and archaeologists uh, have found evidence of two adjacent pools of water that served in this area during these ancient times. And the pool was deep enough for them to swim in. And beneath the pool was a subterranean stream in which every now and then bubbled up and disturbed the waters. The belief was that the disturbance was caused by an angel and the first person that got into the water after the water was troubled, they were healed from their illness uh, or whatever they were suffering from. Now the pool itself was situated near the northeast corner of the old city close to the sheep gate. Perhaps this is John giving uh, spiritual significance to the location because John had already said that Jesus Christ was the lamb of God in John 129. Now, examining the text, we cannot tell for sure which feast Jesus was observing. As many of you know, there were three main feasts in which men were required to attend. Deuteronomy 16, 16 says, three times a year shall all the males appeal before the Lord your God in the place which you shall choose, the feast of unleavened bread, and in the feast of the weeks, and in the feast of the tabernacles. Now, the exact feast is not known. It really is unimportant to the text about what John is trying to share. His main purpose was not to maintain a religious tr tr tradition, but to heal the man and use the miracle as the basis for, the message, for a message for the people. And Jesus' miracle was illustrated um, by what he said in John 5, 24, and that being the power of his word and the preciousness, preciousness of life. Previously, Jesus' miracles were of a more private nature, but this one is very public. As it says in the text, there's a multitude of people that were there in this place. Many, many people. Some translations said there was a great multitude. However you want to look at it, there were a lot of people around. It was very public. He illustrated this, or John illustrated this to show that Jesus goes into the midst of people, no matter who they are, and he heals people. If you're here today, I want you to know that God can heal you from what, whatever ails you, whatever's troubling you, whatever causes you to doubt, whatever causes you turmoil in your heart or in your soul, so that he, he can help you in the things that you need help with. Now, this is a turning point in the ministry of Jesus. After this miracle, the bloodhounds of hate were relentlessly on his trail and always never letting up until they put him to put him to death on the cross. John 5, 16 says, and this is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father and making himself equal with God. Jesus, if you will, was confronting the authority and power which, they, the, which these people became extremely jealous for. Pilate, as you know, saw right through the Jewish people when they came to them in the crucifixion events. You remember the occasion? 
And he listened to them over and over, and he saw, and he said, and it says in the text, he saw that they were jealous of Jesus, and that's why they wanted to put him to death, and that's why he had so much trouble of condemning an innocent man. Now, it is true in the earliest manuscript, they omit the end of uh, John 3, uh, John 5, 3, and they leave out John 4 altogether. Some of your Bibles may even have that translation. And it's also the truth, the events and the man's words in John 5, 7 would make little sense if they were eliminated. Why would anybody, especially a sick man or a lame man or an invalid or a paralyzed man, we don't know exactly what the problem was, why would he stick around for 38 years if something didn't happen that would cause someone to be healed? Well, Jesus walked among them, all these that were blind and lame and paralyzed, and he selected this man who'd been there 38 years. I wonder sometimes if when Jesus walks, in this particular case when he walked, and he goes around and he's in the midst of all of these infirmed people, and they're paralyzed and they're blind and they're lame and they're, you know, they're just a multitude of problems. Some maybe even have demons. Who knows what all the problems were? And I wonder if he thought to himself, if they'd only listened to me, this would have never happened. I met a man this week and he told me he had a wake-up call. And I said, oh, yeah. And he said, yeah. He says, uh, um, I, was, uh, I did a lot of drinking. And he said, two months ago, I had uh, alcohol poisoning. I was in the hospital. And um, when I got out, I said, that's it. And he says, for two weeks, uh, two months now, I haven't had a drink. And I've even stopped smoking cigarettes. And I said, you had a what? He said, I had a wake-up call. God was trying to get my attention. Well, maybe this morning, you need a wake-up call. I've had a number of wake-up calls all week long as I've studied the text, so maybe I'll pass some along to you. Well, I wonder when, as Jesus was walking through there, he thought about what's going to take place with the rockets exploding and the bombs bursting and, and people being beheaded and all the rancor and anger and malice and bitterness and unforgiveness and, and the thievery that goes on on a large scale and the drugs and the killings and the suicides and on and on, nation against nation. I wonder if his heart cried out as he looked out to all of those that were in trouble, a place where a multitude gathered every day, and he looked at the problem that sin caused. Well, no matter how one looks at the miracles, an illustration of the grace of God. It was the grace of God that brought Jesus to this pool. And who would want to, I mean, who would want to mingle and to sit around with the helpless and the hopeless people? Not many. And Jesus didn't heal all of them. He singled out one man and he healed him. Then the fact that Jesus came to the man and spoke to him and healed him, and then they met him later on the temple as proof of his wonderful grace and his mercy. Later, as the blind man recalls the events, he wondered why of all people, this is the way I speculate, he wondered why of all people that God would choose me. Yeah. You ever thought of that? Yeah. There's a multitude in there. And Jesus runs up to one man and he says, do you want to be healed? He chose him. Why? Why? You ever ask yourself the question? I mean, I'm nobody special. 
Why would God choose me? Why? Why me? There are billions of people on the earth. The Bible says before the foundation of the world, he chose us. Wow. You're a child of God today. He chose you. He came looking for you. Isn't that a wonderful thought? Wonderful thought. John reveals the fact that man was lame for 38 years. Perhaps you see the picture. He saw this picture of his own Jewish nation that had wandered in the wilderness for 38 years. And in Deuteronomy 2.14, it says, the time it took for all the men of war to die off as the Lord has sworn to them because of their unbelief. Remember the occasion they were there 40 years after 38 years. All those men of war that doubted, did not believe, they all had died. And a new generation had come up. Maybe he thought of that as he was pinning this and putting it into deal. After all, thirty-eight years. Can you imagine that? Now, some of you are barely in your teens, and some of you are in twenties, and some of you are in thirties, and let's just say some of us are older. <laughs> and we can look at thirty-eight years. You're lame or paralyzed or you're an invalid and you can't get about. And Jesus came looking for him. The good thing is he didn't doubt and say, oh, look, go go away. I've been here a long time. You forget it. He doesn't say that. Spiritually speaking, that Israel was a nation of impotent people. There are people without strength. As you recall, they were under Roman tyranny, controlled by the Romans. They're waiting hopelessly for something to happen. You know, the world is like that. They're waiting for something to happen. The Middle East, they're waiting for something to happen. They don't know what's going to happen. America's like this. We have trillions and trillions of dollars in debt. There's problems that abound everywhere. They're waiting for something to happen. Bakersfield's like this. Waiting for something to happen. Resurrection Church is like this. Waiting for something to happen. People wanting desperately for something to take place. Perhaps the Holy Spirit is speaking through me to you today. You're waiting for something. The good news is God can speak to you today if you listen. Jesus asked the man if he wanted to be healed. You'd think the man would respond with enthusiasm. Of course I want to be healed. Yes. Instead, he gives his excuses. He had been in this sad condition for so long and he was, that his will was paralyzed as was his body. And if you compare John 5, 6 with verse 40, we'll see that Jesus had a spiritual lesson in mind as well. The man illustrated the tragic state of the nation. The nation would not come to Jesus. You remember the occasion where Jesus said, and he looked out at Jerusalem, he said, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how often I have called you. I would have come to you, but you would not. I'm said to you this morning that Jesus is calling to you. If you'll listen, he'll speak to you today. In verse four, the New American Standard, it says, an angel went down to a certain season to the pool and troubled the water. Now, I truly believe that many cures that took place in that place were psychological in nature. There are a number of people today, just as they were them, are sick in their mind. Some of you have seen them if you're driving around town. They're sick. They're talking and they're yelling and they're screaming and they're carrying on and they're sick. 
some in that group were probably ignorant and superstitious. Quite a few people who go to faith healers today believe that they will be healed. The question is whether or not they were really sick, and the question may be whether they were permanently healed. But my point today is simply this. Jesus heals. Even if you went to a faith healer, it's Jesus that does the healing if a person got healed. Not the man. 5. Apparently for 38 years, this man was moved with difficulty. Maybe he was the worst one there. I don't know. Nobody knows for sure. Why did Jesus select that one? (laughs) I asked my question, that question to myself many times this week. Why did God choose me? Listen, why did God choose you? Must have been very frustrating for him to watch all these people get healed over a period of 38 years. And of course, he wasn't. By now, he might have been late 40s, early 50s, maybe even his late 50s, watching people be healed. And in his mind, when he talked to Jesus, he was too slow. He couldn't get into the water. Too slow. I remember playing a game when I was younger. And uh, we play this little game, maybe you play it, and you put your hands out to this, and the other person put their hands on top, and you try to slap their hand before they can move it. Any of you play that as a kid? And, you know, when it was all over, if you won, you'd just say, too slow. <laughs> You're too slow. <laughs> You've got to work on your game. You're just too slow. You're not fast enough. Of course, I lost a few battles along the way, but, you know, this is his predicament. In his mind, he wasn't fast enough. He couldn't get into the water quick enough. But he was looking at, at the wrong source. <laughs> Jesus came He's about ready to heal him. Well, his predicament in his mind was he wasn't fast enough. Let's look at the second, the procedure. Verse 6, when Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he'd been there a long time, he said, do you want to be healed? You'd think that's ridiculous and absurd. (laughs) What do you think I've been doing here for 38 years, you know? Of course I want to be healed. He wanted to be made whole. And Jesus asked him that for two reasons, I believe. One, to stir up a hope in the man whose hope was probably gone by then, or at least almost gone. And secondly, Jesus wanted to get the man's eyes off the pool and onto him. This is huge. And I hope you hear me as we go through this. To this man, he saw the problem as having no help. The condition of many today, just like this man who's watching that pool, waiting for something to happen. It's the same condition we see today. Think of the many people waiting for something great or some sweeping emotion to engulf them. Engulf them. And there are those who are postponing making a decision for Christ because they're waiting for the, the right time or the emotional high or whatever it might be. And deep down, they know they should commit to Christ. They've thought about it. They plan to do so someday. They're waiting for something dramatic to happen. They're not willing to turn to him because they're looking for an emotional event or emotional setting or something, and they're looking for something to happen. Some people, they have their eyes on their business, and they're waiting for something to make them get rich quick. And some people are looking for some individual. It's amazing how many people worship celebrities today and follow all of them. And and you look on the internet, and they got, I don't know, five million, whatever they call them. What are they that follow them? (laughs) Five, all right, five million followers in. It's amazing. 
They follow everything they say and they're, 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 they're friends and they're buddies and I think, wow. It's crazy to me. How about the people who follow the stars and they got to read astrology and they're waiting for something to happen and maybe the next day there'll be something that it's good for them and they're following that. You could go on down the line. People who heard of experience of someone else and they're waiting for something like that to happen in their lives. And so they're copying what these people do because they want to get the same thing they got. And ultimately, they're all doomed to disappointment. I really like the Thessalonians. The Lord uh, steered me to this verse one day and I thought, oh gosh, that's so good. Here's what the verse says in 1 Thessalonians 1.9. They turn to God from idols to serve the living and the true God. They turn to God from their idols to serve the one and true God. In other words, they took their eyes off Thessalonica. They took their eyes off their family. They took their eyes off their friends and they put them on Jesus. Now, is anything wrong with Thessalonica? No. Anything wrong with friends and family? Absolutely not. But oh, Jesus has to occupy the top spot. He's the king after all. He spoke and the universe happened. He knows what's going on all, not only in this building, but all over the world. They turned to him. They took their eyes off Thessalonica and placed them on Jesus. We often have our eyes fixed on the wrong things. I know in my life, I'm constantly reevaluating my priorities. And if you're like me, you find yourself saying it sometimes, Lord, let thy goodness like a fetter bind my wandering heart to thee. Prone to wander, Lord, I feel it. Prone to leave the God I love. Here's my heart, O Lord, take and seal it. Seal it for thy courts above. Look to Jesus and let him help you set your priorities. If you don't, you'll find yourself wandering off and want to know in time, how did I get here? How did I get so far away? How did my heart grow so cold? Why am I so indifferent? Verse seven, the impotent man basically says, no one's here to help me. Maybe he was thinking that Jesus was putting him. Maybe in his heart, the man is well content to remain in his invalid state. For if he was cured, then he would have to shoulder all the burden of making a living. After all, if you're an invalid, then someone else could do all the work and do all the worrying and you don't have to worry about a thing. And his response, oh, his response, he wanted to be healed. But I personally know people, maybe you do, that don't want to be healed. They prefer that other people take care of them and if need be, they'll go to prison for them to get three square meals in a cot. Seriously, it's true. My cousin has a friend and um, when they were in their late teens, maybe early 20s, his friend broke into a jewelry store, put a bunch of the stuff in his pocket and waited till the cops showed up. Of course, they took him to jail and later on in talking to him, he told my cousin, he said, you know, I'm just tired of having to take care of things myself and I'm tired of responsibility and accountability to people. He said, I'm just going to go to prison so somebody else can take care of me. And that's a sad state of fear, but there are people like that. And we, we, we think, 
Truly, surely that can't be true. Those of you work in flood ministries and you're out where the people are and you offer help to them and some of them said, no, I prefer to live like I am out of the trash cans and under the bridges and whatnot and so on. And then of course there are those who want help. Then there are those who are like, need help emotionally and spiritually. But they'll never take a risk. They don't want to grow and they often remain in their sin. Christians who cannot eat meat because they're consumed with comfort and ease and they want no responsibility for this next generation. Because be growing and changes is much harder than a desire to be, to be left alone so I can do my own thing. Don't bother me. I'm comfortable where I am. Don't ask me to do anything. It's a shame. The next generation needs us. Set the stage for them. After all, the older women are supposed to teach the younger women and the older men teach the younger men. Long-term effect of doing my own things, tragic. No testimony. Hide from the Lord. Can't speak to people about Jesus. Why? Not walking with him. Don't really want to hear what he has to say. Listen, if we don't listen to the leadership of the church whom the God put here and God speaks through them to us and we say, well, that's good for you, but not for me. I'm doing my own thing. Guess what? You're sinning against God. Why? Because you pray for your leaders. Your leaders are directed by God and they give the message that God has for them and you reject it. What happens? You rejected God. It's that plain. My, it's quiet in here. It is true. It's true. Why pray all week for your pastors and your leaders and then don't listen when they give the message? Strange. Verses eight and nine. Jesus said, rise, take up your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and took up his bed and walked. He had to give his place up to somebody else. Get his bed, get up. His special place. Now, I don't know, but I know in a lot of places, you know, you go on, you see these people and there's fights because the indigents have a, a spot, a certain corner. And if you get in their corner, there's going to be a fight because that's their place. Well, a whole multitude of people and they had their place. And, and for you to get up and take your bed and walk away, you lost your spot. You got to take a risk. You got to risk something. His predicament wasn't his, wasn't that he wasn't fast enough. His predicament was he needed, I mean, his procedure was he needed to look to Jesus. His predicament in his mind was he wasn't fast enough. I'm told of a story of a man. He fell in love with this young lady and man, he was head over heels with her and everything was wonderful. But there's one problem. Seems like there's always one problem in there. She had a cat that shed hair everywhere and that cat did not like him coming in and taking his spot. And they did not get along. And he didn't like the fact that there's hair all over the place and he didn't like the fact that every time he came around she was hissing and snarling. And everything. He, after a while, he just about, man, he was so mad. Well, guess what? She went on a three-day conference. He bagged up that cat, put it in a burlap sack and took it out in about a hundred miles. Loosed that top, didn't lay him out. He threw him out there in the, in the uh, area and uh, went home. 
Well, his wife came home and she was distraught. No matter how he said, how much he had looked and he had done all these things, she was distraught and she's cried. To show that he was really sympathetic, he, he got a hundred little, uh, what do you call this little thing? He tacked flyers and he put up a $500 reward for this cat. He taped, taped, put it all over the neighborhood and all the surrounding area. And after a week, nothing happened. He put up, he went back and he crossed it out and he put $1,000 on it. His friend came by and said, man, I can't believe you take a risk like that. You don't even like that cat. $1,000 you get? Well, gosh. And the man smiled at him big and said, yeah, but if you know what I know, you can afford to take the risk. Well, he didn't know about taking the risk, but he knew this. He wanted to get healed. I can say to you this morning, if you'll take a risk with Jesus, you can get healed. You can get healed. He'll help you come, overcome some sins you never thought you'd be able to overcome. He can help you overcome the indifference, but you've got to want to. You've got to want to. Problem in America is just so comfortable and easy. We lost a lot of our want to, and we want to just get by and fit in with the status quo. The third thing is this: not only did we look at the predicament and the procedure, but here's the real problem. Verse ten. So the Jews, I like to call them the religious boys. They were the Pharisees. Said to the man who had been healed, "It's the Sabbath, and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed." Here comes the rules and regulation people. And they're going to let everybody know what they need to be doing. The law states that the Sabbath day must be different from other days and that neither a man nor his servants nor his animals must work. And so the Jews set out and they set out 39 different classifications of work, which what it meant to carry a burden. You find this to be true in Jeremiah 17, 19 through 27 and Nehemiah 13. As they use this as their proof text. But listen to the absurdity of these things. In Jesus' day, it was argued that a man was sinning if he carried a needle in the robe or in his pocket on the Sabbath day. A needle. <laughs> Is that absurd? Some of you are going to be in trouble now. He argued that no one could wear artificial teeth or a wooden leg on the Sabbath. Is that absurd? <laughs> I listen to that I think you must be kidding teenagers you think you got a tough in your home imagine growing up under that and trying to obey all the laws that they had oh my gosh you'd gladly gladly change <laughs> keep what you got in exchange with so they could keep what they had well let's go on all that mattered to them was the petty details. To them, it was life and death. They certainly, this, man was, this man certainly was breaking the uh, rabbinic law by carrying his bed on the Sabbath. You'd think they would have some compassion for a man who had been invalid for 38 years, but they had none. All they cared about is he was carrying his little bed or his little pallet that he slept on. How sad. Verses 11 through 17. 
Jesus uh, did not pause to heal another man. He moved on his way. In fact, the Bible in the Greek says he dodged them. He eluded them. It wasn't his time to come out yet and to perform such tremendous things. And as you know, Jesus had a process. He heals this man and the, and the religious boys of the day said, who healed you? And he, applied, he replied and said, I don't know his name. Later, Jesus meets him in the temple and asks the man, to, and the man scurries off and tells the Pharisees it was Jesus. Now, he's not really looking to get Jesus in trouble, but uh, the actual words of the law were this. Now, listen to how it states. If anyone carries anything from a public place to a private home on the Sabbath intentionally, he is punishable by death by stoning. <laughs> so if, if you wore a brooch to church, you carry that from one place to the other, you're punishable by death, by stoning. Is that absurd? Can you imagine what it must have been lived under that? No wonder the people swarmed to Jesus when he came preaching about there's a way, there's a better way, and you can be free. Well, instead of being upset, because he's carrying his bed on the Sabbath day. And of course, the proof was that he was, he was carrying his bed. They should have been overjoyed and ecstatic. Ecstatic that it was healed. Later, Jesus finds the man in the temple and he engages him. He said, you were made male. Sin no more. So that nothing else may happen to you. Nothing worse may happen to you. Jesus had feel, healed him physically at the pool. Now he wants to heal his soul in the temple. You know, sin causes so many problems. You can look back on your life and think of some bad choices you made. I made some bad choices. You made some? You look at that and think, oh my goodness. If only I hadn't done that. Praise God, he washes all our sins away, amen? He remembers them no more. We may remember them, but for him, they're gone, praise God. Well, this man illustrates the spiritual state of our nation, doesn't it, and the world? Need to be healed. Our world needs to be healed. Bakersfield needs to be healed. Resurrection Church needs to be healed. There's a number of problems. We need to not look to the pool, not look to some of the resources. We need to look to Jesus. It's amazing when you allow the word to pour over you and pour over you and pour over you. So imagine how God changes your motives and your intentions and your thoughts. And but if you don't get into the word and you're not reading the word and you're not hearing from God, then you grow cold. It's one of the reasons that we have um, accountability groups so we can encourage one another and we study something every week and we apply it and ask one another how you're doing. Not because we're nosy, but because we want to help. Genuinely, because we love the person. Well, let's go on. Here we have an insight into the, his achievement. Many things in the world defeat us, but if you have a desire and a determination and you're willing to make the effort, hopeless as it may seem, Christ is with, will come with all of his power, come alongside you and enable you to conquer what's long been so hard for you to conquer. He's ready to help you overcome. Thank God I finally, at some age, somewhere in college or right after college, decided that, you know, enough of playing games, I'm just gonna follow the Lord. And uh, I don't know when it was for you. I was a Christian early. 
but didn't live like one. I mean, I went to church and I played the game and I did this things, you know, and I even gave the tithe, you know, but <laughs> confession time. I would go to the earliest service possible, eight o'clock, so I could get it out of the way, and the rest of the day was mine to do what I wanted. There may be some of you sitting out there, that's the way you do it. <laughs> if I can get this thing out of the way, you know, we can plan the day, we can do what we want. Boy, we've come a long way from the Jesus day when the Sabbath was revered. Well, verse 40, we're about ready to close. Yet you refuse to come, me, come to me that you may have a life. You know, it's so much easier to make excuses than it is to hear Jesus and to obey him. Are you a big excuse maker? I'm one of the biggest. You might have to get in line after me. We can make some tall ones. Sound good when they come out of our lips, but when you get further examination, they're really just excuses for why we don't want to do something. I found if you don't want to do something, any excuse will do. And I've heard some tall ones in the ministry. <laughs> I wish I had time to tell you some of those. He came to Jesus and was able to tell who he was. This impotent man was waiting and waiting and waiting and looking at the pool. And one day Jesus, the Lamb of God, comes by, sees him, has compassion on him. And today we tell the story of the impotent man who meets the omnipotent man. And his life was changed. In mercy, Jesus came, and he's willing to save us. Save, for a lot of people, doesn't mean he's willing to rescue us from ourselves. That's why I like to say it. Because if, when we get really honest, aren't you your biggest problem? I mean, I say, you know, jokingly to my wife all the time, baby, if you just get this straight, you know, sweetheart, if you just do that, sweetheart, you know it's going to be your fault, so then, you know, if you just say it's your fault, now we can move on. All those things being facetious, you know. But we like to blame somebody else. And when I can't blame her and she's not in the house, I said, gosh, that dog of ours, how did he get on the counter like that? <laughs> of course, he can't get on the counter, but, you know, any excuse will do, right? Verse 14 through 16. And Jesus, when he was identified the Jews, these religious, I like to call them religious boys, sought an opportunity to kill him. But Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but through him that the world might be saved. The world was already condemned. He didn't come to condemn. He came to liberate us and set us free. We sing that song today about free, free indeed. Oh, free indeed. When a man is drawn in the crevices of sin, the father and son no longer rest on the Sabbath day. We know that God rested from the creation of the physical universe, but after the creation of man, he didn't rest because man, like an ox, has gotten himself stuck in the mud and mire of sin, and he always needed some help. So Jesus came looking for him, and, came, and he's ever ready to go to the mud for you. Yeah, he'll come down where you're at. He don't say, listen, if you'll come up to this standard here, you know, if you just get a college degree, you know, I might consider you. Yeah, no, 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 but you need to get a PhD degree because, you know, only do it. If you make X amount of money, then I might give some thought to you. No. He came to the lowest of us and said, I'm here to help you. Isn't that wonderful? So no matter where you are, what you're doing, what you've made, what you haven't made, how much education you have or don't have, he's here for you. That's the good news. 
Verse 17 and 18 in the last verse, and we'll talk about takeaways and we'd be done. He, he, he answered them and said, my father is working until now and I'm working. Jesus equated himself with God. The Jewish people saw, right? They said, oh my gosh, he's saying that he's equal with God and that was blasphemy, which is punishable by death and they hated him all the more and sought to kill him. Their real problem was a heart problem. Isn't that the problem today? We have a heart problem. And God's constantly working on us, <laughs> working on us to help us become like him. Well, let me give you some takeaways. We'll be done. Jesus heals through the, bro- through the spoken word. He commanded, to do the, uh, commanded the man to do the very thing that he could not do, but with the availability of his power. God can heal your mind, your soul. He can heal you physically as you listen to him and obey him. Tell him what your need is. First Peter 3 tells us, cast all your cares upon him because he cares for you. Secondly, Jesus still speaks through his word by his spirit. The wonderful thing about the Holy Spirit is he takes the written word and he makes it come alive so we, we meet the living word. That's the wonderful thing. An ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in your life. It's a good thing. So when the Spirit of God points out something to you you need to correct, don't say, stop it. Say, thank you. I needed to hear that. You tell your child something they need to do, and they go, wouldn't you like to hear them say, thank you, mother, or thank you, father? I know you'd have to get off the floor first, but you'd, you'd say, thank you that I have an opportunity to change. I have an opportunity to get better. Thank you for the privilege. So how do we respond to God? Like our children? (laughs) He still speaks to us today. Today he's calling you. He's looking for people who will call out to him. Look to Jesus and ask him to save you, rescue you from yourself. Romans 10, 13, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Not will be, might could be, might be, no, shall be. He will. Third, thirdly, look to Jesus and let him help you with your priorities. This is where God spoke to me about all week. Psalm 119, 105, thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light to my path. Psalm 119, uh, oh, oh, verse 9, how can a young man cleanse his way but by taking heed according to the word? The man was looking to the water. He thought that was salvation. The religious boys were looking to rules and regulations. They thought that was the way. Oh, my friend, get in front of Jesus. Get your pen and your pencil. And for a week, just talk to the Lord about priorities. I guarantee you, you're going to write some things down because he will speak to you. He's spoken to me many times. Listen to this verse, Galatians 5, 13. Brothers, you've been called to freedom. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity to serve the flesh, but through love, serve one another. You're free, but not free to serve yourself. You're free to serve him and to serve others. That's what freedom's all about. Before I couldn't do anything but serve myself. Now I have a choice. I can serve God like he wants me to. I've got to be put the determination and the desire to it. And he'll do the rest. Make it a priority. 
with your priorities to serve others and to love him. Fourthly, man's root problem is sin. That leads to many other problems. James 4, 17 says to him to who knows to do right and doeth it not, to him it's sin. Jesus told the man, go and sin no more. Obviously, he had done something in the past that caused the problem. Jesus tell him, go and sin no more. The young man I was telling you about, named Joe, had a wake-up call, and God got his attention in the hospital. He said he thought he was sick unto death. He was so sick. Does it take a wake-up call of that extreme to get your attention, for God to get mine? Or can we hear the word and say, yes, you're right, I'll do it. The Bible says, with my whole heart, I seek you. Let me not wander away from your commandments. I treasure them in my heart that I might not sin against God. I treasure them. King James says, hid them. God changes us through his word. And finally this, when you truly understand and realize how much God loves you, and you, like the layman, are singled out by God, that he chose you, that he came looking for you, that he found you, how grateful we should be. Amen? I wasn't looking for him. I was busy having a good time. Whatever that good time was. But it always leaves you asking the question, there must be more to life than this. Is this what life's all about? And God comes looking for us. Here's what I found out. When you spend, spend time regularly with him, Talking about him becomes natural. Do you know that? The more time you spend in the word, the more time you ask God to use you and open up doors for you, guess what? Talking to others becomes natural. I'm praying for that. Lord, that you would lead me to people that need to know Jesus because I love you and they need to love you. And so would you bring people into my pathway? You'd be surprised how many people God brings into your pathway when you begin praying like that. God can change you when you get into the Word and you let Him heal you when you listen to Him. Would you bow with me, please? Father, I want to thank you for this morning. Thank you for speaking through me. Thank you for the many things that you've taught me over the years and some that I was able to convey today because of your Spirit in me. I pray that today we would simply listen to the Spirit. Listen to your spirit. And we put aside our selfish ways and thinking about ourselves and other things and we place them on you. Lord, there may be a person here today or persons who do not know you as their Lord and Savior. They don't know you. They've heard some information. But today they're going to say, yes, I want to know about him. There may be people who are here today, Lord, they're thinking about becoming a Christian. They've thought about it and they plan to do so at some point, but today you impress upon them. Now is the day of salvation, not tomorrow. Each one of us, Lord, need to be healed on a regular basis because we get ourselves in the trouble with our thinking and often because we think wrong then our motives and our intentions are wrong. So we thank you for your healing power. There may be somebody here today who just needs to come say, Lord, I, I need to rededicate my life. I need some help in this area. And they would come say, yes, 
to Jesus. There may be others said, you know what? I need more than that. I need someone to physically help me along the way. And I want to commit to a small group that I can grow. I'm tired of being out there on the peripheral. I'm tired of having no testimony from God. I'm tired of running from people and hiding. I want to be actively involved so that I've become contagious. And you can use me to be a blessing to others. Well, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand with me, please, as, we, as he sings the invitation? Counselors, if you'll come on to the front, I see you're already here. Good. Listen, I'm saying to you, God is calling today. If you'll listen to the Spirit, he's speaking to you about various things. If you need prayer, come on. Come on. Someone's here to pray with you. Come on.